Hello, and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Liebau, the president of Yankee Institute, and today we are joined by Scott Dolch, the president and CEO of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. And the Connecticut Restaurant Association plays a very important role in Connecticut, uh, representing a lot of restaurant owners and helping make sure that legislators and others in our state understand exactly uh, what some of the challenges and issues are that confront them. Let's let Scott talk a little bit more about them. So, Scott, welcome to YCT Matters. Thanks so much, Carol, for having me. Well, we're delighted. So tell us a little bit, just at the outset, right quick, exactly what the Connecticut Restaurant Association does. Sure. So we are a business trade association um, that represents the hospitality industry. So restaurants, stores, events, uh, we have 8,500 locations, a little more than that. It's an $11 billion industry in our state, about 140,000 jobs. Um, my job is to advocate and represent them in the way that I can, as you know, obviously a lot of people know through the pandemic. Uh, we were very, very relevant, but it continues on to this day to try to help small businesses, uh, which is the lifeblood when you think about restaurants, uh, survive and, and deal with legislative challenges and issues and other business issues they face every day. Sure. And, you know, I think one thing that's important, uh, not a lot of people know, but or maybe people do, the restaurant industry is not a high margin business. I mean, profits in restaurants, they're run very close to the bone, aren't they, Scott? They are. Um, it's kind of a lot of people seem to think that they, they're very profitable. But to be honest, the national average um, in good times is a three to five percent profitability margin um, that is there. And it's very thin. Um, you know, someone will say there's a lot of money coming in, but there's a lot of money going out. You know, even being a million dollar, two million dollar restaurant is about the average of a full service independent in Connecticut is around two million dollars. If they're making four percent, you know, you're talking, you know, the owners taking home eighty thousand, ninety thousand dollars a year. Just giving that as an example, um, it is not a, a high profitability type of margin. Um, but at the same time, it's a great industry. People love it that are owner operators. Some are making a little bit more than that. They've got multiple locations, but at the same time, it's a grind. And and those are average numbers during normal times. Obviously, everyone knows what we went through the last three years with the pandemic. And with inflation and labor costs and everything else that has kind of uh, been hit for this industry, it's making it tougher and tougher for those restaurants to survive and to, to turn a profit. Yeah. And I mean, Connecticut is a state, uh, Scott, am I correct, where a lot of a lot of the restaurants are these small businesses or independent businesses? They are. Um, it's great that you bring that up, Carol. We're actually ranked, uh, we're the highest percentage in the country. 97% of our full service restaurants, which is about 3,600 out of the 8,500 are full service restaurants. 97% are independently owned. Um, so, you know, it, what makes our culinary scene in Connecticut so unique, um, you know, and, and great stories, but it's also a fear of mine that I have in this role is it's the hardest, it's the sector that's struggling the most to recover fully from the pandemic and make it um, coming out of this pandemic and what, with what's going on. So um, my job is to keep that 97% high and stay there. But at the same time, I know the reality is there's probably not a way to go up from that. It's just trying to, to not have any closures or any more independence, you know, have to go under over the next, you know, three to five years and beyond. Right, right. And I mean, our our restaurateurs, our restaurants were already um, impacted, correct, by the meals and beverages tax. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what, what it's meant for the industry? 
Absolutely. So, you know, the, obviously it's it's a challenge in Connecticut. I, I say it all the time to uh, to be a business trade association, help support these businesses at the state capitol. Um, you know, unfortunately, back in, I believe, 2019, uh, there was an added meals and beverage tax really went to the consumers, but it would just add another burden. So we have a sort of a 6.35. We have a 7.35 when you go get food and beverages, you go out to eat. Um, unfortunately, those dollars do not impact and support our industry. We found out this past year that it generated over $100 million, just the 1% alone. Um, and those are just issues that, that I try to face every day to, to push back with legislators to say, you need to support the industry that's generating $11 billion. You know, we are funding, we're funding, funneling sales and use and property taxes and so much money into the state. We need to be able to support these restaurants in many different ways, whether it's workforce development, whether it's tourism, you know, so many, you know, tax breaks, there's so many things that should be looked at to help um, the lifeblood of, of what small business is. And that's really our industry. Yeah. And, you know, even in terms of tax breaks, even in it's it's not really a tax break. It's letting them hang on to to what they already have earned. Um, and uh, this this meals and beverage tax, you know, sometimes just in order to make a profit margin that lets them stay afloat, um, the restaurants are really forced to pass that on to consumers. And given the kind of inflation we've already seen, in my view, it's part of the reason why eating out is becoming more and more difficult for people of more modest means. And it's really wrong. In America, eating out shouldn't be a luxury reserved for the affluent. People, normal people should be able to, to occasionally have a dinner out without it breaking the bank. Couldn't agree with you more, Carol. I think you know, for people to understand in my role, what we watch every day is really, you know, a lot of it's driven by the middle class and the middle class being able to have the means to be able to go out and eat and how often. And if that has, is changed at all by continuing rising cost, you know, a potential, don't want to use the R word, a recession or anything that happens, um, you start to see a downward spiral and where it affects right away is those independent restaurants. Like, hey, I used to maybe go out with my family once a month. Maybe now it's only once every two months. You know, if everyone is doing that, just think of the amount of business that is being lost by those local restaurants and, you know, why we're trying to say on the dip, on the flip side, we want to be able to support those restaurants. You know, rising costs are everywhere. Um, we have to try to, to not to, to find solutions to these issues because, you know, at the end of the day, if the middle class, you know, in the lower middle class can't afford to go out to eat. Um, you, you're going to see closures of restaurants around the country, and, and it's scary and and not something that, that on my watch I want to see happen. I want to help find ways to to solve these issues. Well, sure. And it ends up having, uh, having a, a ripple effect because if restaurants close, all their workers lose their jobs, and no one wants to see that happen. So, Scott, bearing all these different pieces in mind, and, you know, the concerns about recession, the concerns about... Uh, spiraling costs and the increasing uh, unaffordability of eating out as it is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this new initiative that some are pushing called the One Fair Wage. Could you explain to us about what this is? Absolutely. So, you know, the proponents of One Fair Wage um, is something that's a national movement across the country to try to eliminate uh, tip credits in states and cities around the country. And for people that maybe don't, it's a very nuanced, don't understand our industry. Um, I, I use that word very firmly. It's tip credit. 
It's not a wage. It's not a tipped wage. I think people always get confused by that. But give an example here in Connecticut, we have two separate tip credits. Uh, we have a server tip credit, which is $6.38 an hour. And then we have a bartender credit, which is $8.23. Our minimum wage currently in Connecticut is $15. It'll be $15.69 with an increase on January 1st. Understand that how a credit works is it's what the owner can pay hourly, that credit, as long as the tips with the credit equal above minimum wage. So the moment a server walks into or a bartender into a shift in Connecticut or any state that takes a credit, they have to make minimum wage. They are minimum wage at a minimum employees. There's no lower wage. There's no tip wage um, conversation. So making sure that's clear and, and codified, that there's protections by state and federal law, that there, there's no one making under the minimum wage. But right. also, so you know, in Connecticut with our numbers, the tip credit with the tip credit servers and bartenders on average, the survey we did back in May, over 238 Connecticut restaurants filled it out. On average, the server in Connecticut is making $33 an hour. So that's their credit plus their tips. And the bartender average was 38, both more than double the minimum wage. They're some of the highest paid in our industry. The, the model works where you go and leave a tip at a, at a restaurant tonight if you were to go out to eat. Um, that tip fully goes to that server. The models start to change. And so what this proponents of this one fair wage bill is, is first of all, spreading out rumors that not paying people full minimum wage. That's the first, you know, um, kind of false information that's out there. And I always say as the head of the association, if anyone was not making full minimum wage, I would be the first person to walk into that restaurant and and deal with the owner um, because that's a bad actor. That's not helping the rest of our industry. That is not happening. Um, I've asked that to the proponents for many, many years. Um, still have yet to find a restaurant that's doing that, but also because they're not, because they're making well above. Um, the other piece to this conversation is the proponents want to believe that, hey, you need to pay them the full minimum wage and then also let them keep their tips. Um, while that sounds great on the surface, Carol, I think the bigger conversation is here, someone at a credit of 638, moving them up to 15, 15, 69, and then them fully keeping the tip at the table, they're now going to go have a $9 raise. So they're going to go to 42 or $47 an hour with that, that, that average. Um, where does that money come from is the bigger question. You know, the only, the only two options an owner has is one raise costs substantially, um, for for the customers, which we just talked about, the middle class and lower middle class that they're already seeing twenty dollar hamburgers and fries at little right. mom and pop restaurants. Um, how does that affect? Or the other option, which is what's happened in Washington D.C., seventy eight percent of their restaurants have moved to a service charge model, where they say, "Hey, we'll pay you, you know, above minimum wage. We'll pay you twenty dollars to be a server, but we're going to put a twenty percent service, twenty two percent service charge that the customer will pay, but we keep that and we." We help pay your wages. We help pay everybody else. But who miss who who is getting hurt by this is the servers and bartenders. The flexibility, the the amount of wages they can make hourly changes dramatically. And if you look at any state that's done this um, out on the West Coast, everything else, you see that happening. And I think that you know for the proponents that believe that hey, let's just pay them full minimum wage, let them keep fully their tips, the model would not suffice and and would not work. And so models would have to change. And obviously. What Wait, so help me, help me follow you. So, so, so restaurateurs then are putting on a service charge. In, and in, in, in it, areas where we're in DC and Chicago and areas like where, where this has been, been mandated. And so correct. then rather than the server getting tips, it's just making the bill more expensive. And then the restaurateur has to, it holds on, I mean, holds on to that. 
And so the servers aren't really getting paid more. Is this like, is that, am I grasping this correctly? So the servers aren't getting more, the consumers are paying more. Correct. Well, the servers aren't getting more, the servers are getting less. Okay. First and foremost, they're not even getting an equal what they were before in these models that I've seen. And obviously, I do my research. I have CEOs across the country that don't have a tip credit, do have a tip credit. Um, obviously, Washington, D.C., we've watched closely over the last six months as the tip credit was a, is, is on a phased in approach to be eliminated. What is happening? Um, but understand that, you know, there's a couple things that are in play here. So they could say, oh, well, you don't have to do a service charge. Allow them just to keep their tips like they did before. Well, my bigger question is, where does that $9 per hour per shift per server increase in wages right. come from? Like like, like for, for a mom and pop right now, like I give an example, my chairman of my board has a small restaurant in Manchester, Connecticut, um, small pub that's been there 43 years. He ran his numbers in 2022. It's $168 would increase his expense line if he moved everyone off the credit and had to pay them the $15 minimum wage. So where does that $168,000 come from? As we just talked about margins, everything else. So obviously owners and operators will have to adapt. They've, they've survived in COVID. So what are they doing? They're now taking the, the, there's still a tip line. So a lot of the, so, you know, the proponents will say, well, yeah, there's a 20% service charge, but we still, there still has to be a tip line. So they'll still tip on top of that. I guess my question is the consumers, if you go out to eat tonight and there's a 20% service charge, which you're also taxed on, by the way, as well. So right now, when you leave 20% bottom of the no, you're gonna fig- you're gonna figure that service charge is your tip is what you're gonna figure. Correct. So so what you've seen out in DC, what you've seen even in the West Coast in California, when they have service charge, the average tip is about three to five percent at best. Higher end restaurants, not even small ones, at best. So that's what the server can take home. Right now, by law, if you have a tip line. the server takes home 100% of that. Service charge is a different conversation. And I think that's where these models start to get very confusing. And for people not in our industry, the nuance that the money's got to come from somewhere to be able to offset these increases. And while it sounds good on paper, like, hey, we should pay them a a full minimum wage plus tips. Well, like they're already making 33 and $38 an hour. Right. Shouldn't we be looking at other issues? They, they think they have a solution, but that's not a problem right now. Our servers aren't asking for it. The other thing I would say too, Carol, in you know, they you know, proponents came from Chicago and 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 yeah. other places last weekend to Hartford, and I asked a lot of legislators in the media. I said not one person that stood up there in that press conference in favor was a server from Connecticut or represented our industry. We don't have union employees, so the unions that like to talk about they don't represent our industry. Ask the servers and the bartenders, and the and the other big piece to this, because this isn't new, they 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 eliminated the tip credit in Maine seven years ago. Six months later, servers marched to the state capitol and they reversed it. Oh, in I D- bet. In D.C., same thing. Um, the seventy-eight initiative, servers and bartenders, it it passed on a ballot, <clears throat> but the city council overturned it because of the pressure of the servers and bartenders that do not want this. Well, yeah, these these national groups that are parachuting in here to try and micromanage Connecticut's business need to just trot their hush puppies home because (laughs) it sounds like, you know, I mean, isn't it true that that, um, Connecticut is already home to some of the top tippers in the nation and and our tips average 19%. That's a very healthy uh, tip situation. So, you know, if, if, uh, if, 
uh, waiters and bartenders want to see their tips go down to three to 5% instead, it seems like this is absolutely the way to go. But if they like 19% tips, they might want to hang in with the status quo. Yeah, and 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 there's there's so many other things that that get affected by this um, by by this change if this was to happen. And I guess the one thing I say to the proponents every day, restaurants could do this today in Connecticut. They could stop the, using the tip credit. They could put a service charge. They could do different models. And some some have find creative ways. And, and I always believe my industry is going to continue to figure out creative ways to survive and new solutions. They have that option. All you're trying to do is take away and legislate an option and fully make make restaurants not allowed to do that anymore. Even though everyone's protected and making full minimum wage, we're not going after other small businesses because they pay people the minimum wage, which is very, you know, like that's where I get very frustrated is why are we trying to take away an opportunity and option for business owners? But then also for the servers and the bartenders, everyone understands this, like single parents, single moms that work lunch shifts because their kids are in school or people are trying to pay their way through college. They become bartenders, what, on Friday and Saturday nights when they're going to make substantially $45, $50 in tips an hour. That goes away with these other models as well. Like like people understand in the service world, you know, you get better times and shifts and you can make more. And if you work harder, usually your tip goes up. That starts to change in these other models and and the service that our customers will receive will also go down. People are not going to be hustling to go make sure they take care of you because they don't care what your service charge is already on there and they're not seeing it. So that's also what I don't want to see is this is, is see changes that would have drastic effects across the board. And it's going to impact the customers. It would impact the servers. It'll impact the bartenders and it'll impact the owners. I mean, honestly, honestly, uh, Scott, it undermines the sort of fundamental premise of capitalism, uh, which is that if you perform well, you can earn more. I mean, it, it just undermines the whole idea of this sort of uh, voluntary contract between two willing you know, participants. If you do better, I can reward you. And you know, if not, it just puts everyone in lockstep and provides no incentive for superior performance. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, as you talked, as we luckily in Connecticut, we we need to work with our legislation. Um, you know, I see other states that are out there that that this initiative is being pushed. They've got other challenges, whether it's ballot initiatives and trying to convince the public. But at the same time, it's, you know, I didn't come from this industry. I've been in this job six years. And my job every day is to look out for it and make sure it's going to be better than it was today, better tomorrow than it was today. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would say, oh, well, you'll never be for this. Right now, I'm opposed to this legislation the way it is written, because everything that I've researched, it is not the, it's not in the best interest of our industry. And I will continue to say that. And I think that that's what's really clear with this is I say to media, I say to legislators, I hope that you respect me enough throughout the last three and a half years that I've had the best interest of the restaurant industry at heart. And I will continue that. And that's why for this piece of legislation was here last year, it's back again for a second year. Um, it is extremely frustrating. Another piece, Carol, that, that the proponents like to say to me is a server or bartender credit hasn't gone up since 2017. So they haven't seen a raise in over six years. Um, understand that with the model, like I said before, the credit plus their tips is what they get to take home. Every single time the menu item goes up, every single time the check average goes from $50 to $70, people, the average tip is has not gone down. All the survey research we're still at 19.14% in Connecticut as of last year. 
every but uh, guess what our menu pricing is anywhere between seven and eleven percent higher than it was pre-pandemic oh you know that this. i believe you actually, oh, yeah. it's probably even higher in some places yep. but so understand that if it's a eight if it was a seventy dollar check at the end of the night is now the same food is a hundred dollars the server now is going from if it's twenty percent a fourteen dollar tip to a twenty dollar tip. They just got a six dollar increase. They are getting of course. Increases. I mean, they've gotten effective cost of living adjustments. They've got yeah, and more than that. And that's why I said even if I if I ran the same survey, which I'm going to do again leading into this session, the thirty three and thirty eight dollar average, I know it's going to be higher. I've heard it. I've felt it. I've seen it with the end of the year with with restaurants. I've seen you know I've seen restaurants where servers are making over fifty dollars an hour in certain locations, like. Um, and restaurants aren't upset. That's the mo- that's what works, and that that's your right. front of house. That's your face. Like, sure. like that's the part of this industry. Why are we trying to hurt hurt these people, these service employees that that care, you know, that want to work for that and have that opportunity to be the flexibility and everything else that it affords to them? Well, to put a, a point on it, it sounds to me, Scott, like this is a solution in search of a problem and a solution that's likely to be destructive. So it's we all need to be uh, keeping our eyes on this one supposed one fair wage uh, legislation. And so um, I'm glad uh, and grateful you've been willing to take some time to educate us about it. Always. Um, I think, you know, for me, you know, like I said before, it, it's it's like I will talk to anybody. I will listen. Everyone has well-intended ideas at the end of the day, of but this is not a piece of legislation or, or a bill that that has any. At the end of the day, it's maybe thought on the surface, but it's actually not helping the people they want to. They think they're helping. They're actually hurting them in the long run, and and deep down, they're also hurting small independent restaurants. Just to kind of end with the data we got out of Washington D.C. even two weeks ago is they're losing an independent restaurant every single week. One independent restaurant is closing in the district. That is scaring me to death because it's not going up. It's not staying flat. So sure. there, are, and there are other factors, but it's something to be said that 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 has gone that downward tick has happened so fast in the last six months with what is going on. And proponents say to me, "Oh well, Scott, they haven't, you know, they haven't even got to the end of the tip credit rise to the full minimum wage." I know that's what's scary is they've only they haven't even they still have three years to go, but restaurants are trying to figure this out of how they can survive and. And that's, you know, with everything else that's thrown at these restaurant owners and operators, this is not something that, that they should have to deal with um, in, in, in the near future, even for a long time. They have other concerns to keep their business, their doors open, keep people employed, make customers happy. Like, let's stay there and know that, again, no one is making under minimum wage. Everyone right. is federally and statewide protected. Um, so let's let's move on from this. That's why I say, say let's, to legislate. Let's move on. We have other issues to deal with. This shouldn't be one of them. Agreed. And I'm a believer in the legislative equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. So Scott Dolch, the, the uh, president and CEO of the Connecticut Restaurant Association, thank you so much for taking time today to join us to talk about this and other issues confronting the uh, restaurants in Connecticut. We're grateful for your time. Thank you so much. And we're grateful to you for taking time to join us. And this is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. We look forward to having you join us again for another edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.